Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans podcast. I'm Clint Edwards. Thank you for joining me today, this morning, this evening, whenever it is that you're listening to this. Today we have a a uh, a kind of a foundational episode. We're going to take some of the most significant kindreds, some of them, not not all of them, just just a few really big ones. One specific one, okay? And we're going to go clear back to the origin of that clan. And we are talking about Summerlid today. Now, if you have been involved in the Facebook group, the Scottish Clans Facebook group, and there is some comments that you've made on there, and I said I'd get back to you with some sources, I promise I haven't forgotten. I just, all I can do to get the, the time to just put out, keep putting out content, and uh, as far as doing everything else around that that I want to do, that I'm even excited to do, it's quite a task. And I lucked out this evening, I have a little bit less homework than usual, although I probably should be going over some stuff right now, but you know, when you're passionate about something, it's kind of hard to keep you off of it. So here we are. We're going to talk about Summerled. Or if you're a Gaelic speaker, it sounds a little bit something more like Sorle. But I am not a Gaelic speaker, but I do my best. We're going to talk about Summerled today. Why are we talking about Summerled? Why is he important? Well, as I mentioned earlier, he was the progenitor of some major, major kindreds in Scotland. And now not all of those kindreds would, some of them, one of them fizzled out altogether. And they, they only went away in name. They didn't go away in territory. They just kind of got absorbed in and under a different leadership, but they're it's kind of still the same entity. entity. Another one is still around, although greatly diminished in territory. Um, up into later clan periods. I mean, the, the, the surname's still with us for sure. And then the other one became a very, very major clan. And we might talk about the, the ultimate fates of some of those if we have time at the end of this episode. All right, so that's why he was important. Also, he, he was important because he was the... Uh, he controlled large chunks of Argyle as well as pretty much all of the Hebrides, at least up to a certain point in his life. I mean, starting from a certain point until the end of his life. And so, and he, he ruled that territory as a king in his own right. And we'll get more into that a little bit later. So he's a, he was a big deal. He was very powerful, and so were his descendants. And so I think he's worth dialing in on a little bit. I've done one episode that's kind of like this, so if you end up liking this and the whole concept of tracing clans back to their origins, and specifically the, the person that they claim descent from that got the ball rolling as far as that kindred is concerned, I did one on Ghost Patrick, and he was the ancestor of the Hooms and the Dunbars. So if you're digging that kind of an idea for a podcast, I can't remember what number it is, but like I've said earlier... I name all of my podcasts, hopefully to where it's really easy to to get an idea of what the content in there is, 
And so just look back there for one that's titled Ghost Patrick. Anyway, let's talk about Summerled. You know, before we get into talking about him as a person, let's talk about the world that he was born into. So the earliest sources or the earliest mentions of... Well, you know what? Speaking of sources, let me tell you real quick what the sources are. I did read an article by W.D.H. Seller entitled The Origins and Ancestry of Summerled. I also have this book that I've mentioned a bunch of times before by John Bannerman. Actually, that's not a book by him. It's a collection of his essays entitled Kinship, Church, and Culture, Collected Essays and Studies, John W. M. Bannerman. And he has he's written and researched quite a lot on Summerled. Also, and I've talked about this book recently, and in case you hear my voice fading away from the microphone, it's I'm actually reaching behind me and pulling my books off of the shelf as I'm talking about them. The, the book titled Outlaws of Medieval Scotland, Challenges to the Canmore Kings, 1058 to 1266 by R. Andrew MacDonald. That one also contains quite a bit of information about Summerled. Um, then also, at the bottom of the list, but still on the list of things that I read to prepare for this, was the Wikipedia article. Okay, so get off my back. It's this particular article happens to be extensively cited, very well cited throughout the article, and the list of references and bibliography are pretty extensive. So I'm not ashamed to say that. I don't don't say that it carries the same weight in and of itself as a scholarly article. However, it looks to be written to a very... um, scholarly standard as far as how well it's cited. I can't say that for every single Wikipedia article I've ever read, but I can say it about this one. Okay, if you, by the way, that's actually, if you want to get in, if you want to learn more about Summerlid and you want, and you, you're ready to take it past the Wikipedia article, often if you scroll down at the bottom of a Wikipedia article and look through the sources, which I actually did this with this particular article, not all of them can you just access right there via the internet, but several of the sources contain links to articles that are accessed, accessible right there on your computer. So there you go. Those are my most significant sources for my knowledge about Summerled. Now, the world that he was born into. Let's, let's do a little quick history catch-up. The Vikings establish a very strong presence in the Hebrides, this collection of islands off the west coast of Scotland, in the 800s. Now, they probably had a presence there a long time before that. But in the 800s, we start to see raids on Iona, which was the religious center of the kingdom of Dalriada, the Gaelic-speaking kingdom of Dalriada. And... Well, yeah, so during the 800s, that's when you see records of Viking attacks on that specific place. You know, Vikings like to hit monasteries and other religious centers as they tended to have a lot of gold and other type of very precious things there. Well, during the 800s, the Vikings really set up shop throughout the Hebrides. To what extent did they set up shop in the Hebrides? Well, to the extent that in certain parts of the Hebrides, 
whatever language was spoken there before they came to include Gaelic spoken in the more southern Hebrides, the southern islands. That would have been the Gaelic spoken in the kingdom of Dalriada or the Pictish language, which would have been spoken farther in the northern Hebrides, whatever it was. And more, more I think this trend is, is exemplified more in the northern areas. Not a lot of the pre-Viking names survive, which would tell you how strong the Vikings set up there. Now, am I saying that the Vikings came in and wiped everybody out? No, because that, that was the type of story that we have been... In, in generations past, they, they were big fans of that type of a history. If there was an absolute cultural change, it must have been an absolute population change. And that's, that's been strongly questioned all over the British Isles, probably other places, but I've specifically read about it all over the British Isles, that when these groups come in, they don't just wipe out whoever's there. They maybe wipe out their leadership. That is is a very plausible scenario, but the total population is generally not true. So you probably still had Picts who are surviving into the Viking era there, but, and I don't know at which point their language completely goes away there, but just going by place names, scholars think that Scanned, the, the Old Norse language replaces completely the Pictish language. Now, is that true farther south in the Hebrides with the Gaels and the Gaelic-speaking Scots of Dalriada? Probably not, because in a huge twist of irony, where are you going to go in Scotland today to hear Gaelic spoken out on the street? Very few places in Scotland, but one of them is the Hebrides, specifically the Outer Hebrides. So, um, and that's the very same places that they, they see say that the language was replaced, but apparently Gallic remains strong enough through these succeeding centuries that not only does it survive, but the Norse speakers completely change their language and become Gallicized. So you have clans like the MacLeods, or the McCaskills, who have very Norse names, but they exist completely in a Gallic context and are speaking Gaelic themselves. And probably by the time of Summerled, we're seeing Gaelic come back to where the Hebrides were probably a Gaelic-speaking context. I actually did look for a specific time period where scholars think that language, where the tide turns back in favor of Gaelic, and it starts to take over as the dominant language in the Hebrides, but I could not find that information. So if you have that information, please share it in the... Scottish Clans Facebook group, and go ahead and include a source with that, please. All right, so the world that Summerled is born into, these isles, if we have the kingdom of man and the isles, and that kingdom is actually a, sub, a sub-kingdom to the king of Norway. But that's a long ways away, and so you're the king of man in the isles is, is the guy on the ground. Now, even though it's under Norse control, the population, if you want to just go summarize what I just went over, is a very strong mix of Scandinavians and Gaels. But probably 
is becoming more and more, if not completely, a Gaelic-speaking world throughout the Isles. Now, when I say throughout the Isles, I want to include another part of Scotland that usually doesn't get included here because I don't know if technically it ever fell under the Kingdom of Man and the Isles, and that is the very southwest of Scotland, the area known as Galloway. So, and it it doesn't exactly match whatever people think that it, you know, may include today in today's political divisions of Scotland. Um, And we have Fergus, Lord of Galloway, who I have mentioned in previous episodes. He was a contemporary of Somerled. And we might get a little bit more about a possible connection there later on. So this, this mix, this culturally mixed world of Gales and Scandinavians with the Gallic language becoming dominant throughout stretches through the Isles and down into the southwest of Scotland. But, but really, I mean, if you want to get bigger picture about it, there's, I mean, we could go clear down into Norse-controlled Ireland areas as well. Now, that area about, well, over a hundred years before this in the, the Battle of Clontarf, so more about 150 years almost, just using rough figures before Summerled is the Battle of Clontarf, where under Brian Baru, a mixed force of native Irish and Scandinavians fight another mixed force of Scandinavians and Irish. And the force under Brian Baru wins the day. But it really, really, the Viking or Norse control of Dublin and, and that area of the, and the Norse control in Ireland generally is it takes a huge step back but I'm not going to go into like the actual specific points of that just want to let you know that this Gaelic Norse mixture world is is it's it's on a bigger picture than just Scotland and just western Scotland specifically but that's the world that Summerled comes into now Summerled the earliest sources about him refer to his being of Argyle. And and we don't know a lot about his origins, but we do know a little bit about his ancestry. And there's been a lot of scholarly debate about his ancestry and not a clear consensus. So I'll try to just give you the very, very basic, basic of it. There's several, several sources that include genealogies for Summerled. And most of them, despite his Norse name, which actually translate as summer traveler, which was a term for for a Viking. That was his name. So that right there indicates a a pretty mixed ancestry. Now, these genealogies really emphasize a paternal Gaelic line. Well, we all know if, if you've ever existed for five seconds in a family setting that a strong personality in the form of a mother can have a huge influence on that family. And so you have this guy who would eventually grow up to be a very powerful man in Scotland and comes from a a patriarchally Gaelic line, comes up with a uh, Norse name. And so some people think that his mom was probably from a Norse background. And so so Summerled is a living embodiment of the, the ethnic environment that he comes up in. Now, this paternal Gaelic line that the genealogies all emphasize, they actually go back to 
and they go they go back really far. And WDH Seller in his his source that I mentioned earlier, his article that, that I read, he actually defends pretty strongly this these this purported genealogy back to a Godred, or a not, not a Godred, but a Godfrey, Godfrey McFergus, who was originally from Ireland, and from a from a uh, aristocratic kindred there. And during the time period of Kenneth McAlpin, he moves probably with a group of kindred followers into this Argyle Hebridean world. And maybe at the request of Kenneth McAlpin, not just during the same time as him, but maybe in connection with him. And so we see that the this is mid-800s. So we see the Vikings come in and become established, and probably in response to that pressure, the leading kindreds of Dalriada, the the seed of, of Gabran and the seed of Lorn, these two alternating powerful kindreds of Dalriada push inland farther east, away from the Vikings, leaving a gap there, a power vacuum, into which this Godfrey McFergus probably moved. Now, it's interesting that he, just like his descendant, Summerled, is has a Norse name, and but comes from a, a Gaelic context, Godfrey McFergus. So perhaps he also had a Norse mother or other Norse influence in his, in his family. So this, this person goes in and actually sets up a very powerful, does very well there. And carves out a region, and we don't know the exact exact boundaries that Godfrey McFergus set up there, but you know exactly what his territory was on a map. But it was in this Argyle Hebrides area, and he became so powerful there that his kindred, in subsequent generations, called themselves after him. Now, here's something I did not know: that even after the MacDonalds, who are one line of the descendants of Summerled, even after they became a well-established clan and had adopted the MacDonald name, they also concurrently refer to themselves in some contexts as the descendants of Godfrey. What that sounds like in Gaelic is a lot, sounds a lot more like McGorry. But I didn't know that, and I found that in Bannerman's work. So if you want to go chase that down in a little bit more detail, and I'm sure other people have talked about it too, but I just did not know that that this leading kindred who would inherit this kingdom of the Isles, they're using a, they're still using a name, and I don't know when they stopped using it. I want to think that I read something in the ballpark of the 1500s. The 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 official, according to the Scottish Crown, lordship of the Isles under the Macdonalds goes away in 1493. Now, that was contested and, in a kin-based world, went on a little farther and longer. But in that time period, roughly, you're still seeing these people refer to themselves as descendants of Godfrey, which you've heard me talk about how old our clans are that we would recognize today. And you see the... um, I've I've said that most of the clans that we recognize today, their their foundations go back to the 1200s. Some go a little bit earlier than that, uh, and in this case, Summerled in the mid 1100s. Uh, 
and others are even later than that, and they their founding father, so to speak, was in the maybe even the 1300s. But the Mac- McDonald's, uh, McRory's, McDougal's, as a kindred, McAllister's, if they were still going by this McGorry and acknowledged him as their descendant, that actually make them as a clan push back into the mid-800s, which would make them as old as a lot of the Irish clans who have tend to have earlier traceable origins. I don't know what that's worth to you guys, but I find it fascinating. All right, I'll keep going. Don't worry. I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole. Okay, so that's how Summerlin's ancestors come into Scotland. And they they do well, but it looks like in the in the generations immediately preceding Summerled, they lose power. Summerled, as I mentioned, first styled of Argyle. He actually is still there's a, there's indication that he's still at the head of a pretty significant kindred because of the the people the the other families within this this world that he's intermarrying with. Whether it's his wife, which he actually marries a daughter of the Norse king of Man in the Isles, who, keep in mind, this is still a Gaelic-speaking context, but he it's, it's the Crovan dynasty, if you ever want to look that up. C-R-O-V-A-N, Crovan, this line of, of kings of Man in the Isles. He marries into that, which, so if you're that group of people and your family's that powerful, who are you going to let your daughters marry? Well, it's not just the bottom rung of the socioeconomic scale. Look, I don't have any problems with that, but just going by how they did things back then, that's all I'm talking about, so don't get anybody get offended here. Um, they probably wouldn't let their daughter marry anybody but of a, a family that they considered somewhere on the same level as them. So even though that Summerlid's immediate predecessors in his line have lost power, he's still at the head of a pretty powerful kindred. Also, he marries, I believe it was either a daughter or a sister, to the, the Macheth or Mackay lords uh, in the north. Of they, they became the Mormares of Ross. Anyway, another very powerful kindred. Possibly there's some connections with Fergus, Lord of Galloway, too. Possibly. Anyway, it's just, it just is uh, indicative of who he's marrying, who his own family members are marrying, that he comes from a very powerful kindred within Argyle. All right, so now he's tied by marriage to the ruling family of Man in the Isles. Well, he actually ends up contesting their power, and this is where we see his rise. Now, it didn't actually happen in his own name. It looks like the first competition against his brother-in-law, who was the king of Man in the Isles, a man named Godred Olafsson. That's who Summerled, his wife, was Godred's sister. Godred actually, because of some military setbacks and some other things, became unpopular amongst the Islemen, and Summerled saw his opportunity. All right, so although Summerled challenged his brother-in-law for the leadership of the Isles, is actually Summerled's son, Dougal, that he put forth as Godred's successor rather than himself. And he had the backing in this of other very powerful leaders within the Isles. So it was Dougal that was going to take Godred's place. His, so Godred would be Dougal's uncle. And they end up fighting it out. 
in a naval battle called the Battle of Epiphany near the Isle of Man in 1156. Now, this battle was fought to a standstill. No clear winners, but heavy casualties on both sides. Well, since there wasn't a clear winner, they ended up splitting the Hebrides, this, this kingdom of man in the isles. And Summerlid takes over... I don't, I don't know exactly. I actually couldn't find exactly, exactly what isles, but it looks like he was able to gain the southern Hebrides where Goddard retained control of the northern Hebrides. Usually the Hebrides are not divided into northern and southern. Usually they're divided to inner and outer. If you go look at a map, you'll probably be able to see the distinction pretty quickly. But that's just how I read it, all right? So, so he, for, and for two years, that's just the, the, where the power division stands. But then, Summerlid challenges Godred in 1158, so two years later. And this time, Summerlid, Summerlid gains a clear upper hand and expels Godred. Godred goes into exile for about 10 years and Summerlid takes control of the whole island kingdom for himself. And after this point, in some of the Irish sources, we see, well, actually we have, so this is, this is I'll tell you exactly how I read it, that in the, the Latin sources that refer to him as Dominus Insular, Insularum, which was probably a Latin rendering of the Gallic Re Inchigal. Now to this day, the Hebrides in Scotland in Gallic are called Inchigal, which actually means islands of the foreigners. The next time that we see Summerlid, we actually don't see him pop up in the historical record after 1158, but there is some suspicion that when King Malcolm IV went down into Galloway to, to put down an insurrection under Fergus, Lord of Galloway, that maybe Summerlid was involved there somehow. Same cultural group, um, maybe some actual familial connections with, between Summerlid and Fergus, Lord of Galloway. Um, but it doesn't, the historical record doesn't come right out and say that Summerlid was involved in that. Um, there's just some other, uh, it's, I'm not going to go into, down that rabbit trail of, of why scholars think he might have been involved, but we do. I will say this, after that happens, like immediately in the historical record after that happens, there's a reference that says that Summerlid is at peace with Malcolm IV. So we don't know if that came because he got beat and had to kind of like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll leave you alone for a while, or if Summerlid actually rendered aid to the Scottish king. Now that would be, as far as we know, a standalone event because usually that's not the way that this was going. So that was in 1160 that we have this, this conflict down there, and immediately afterwards we see Summerlid making peace with the king of the Scots. Now, for the next four years, the record's kind of quiet about Summerlid. One thing that we do know that is he had very strong feelings about the church in, in his kingdom. Now, we don't, we don't know whether that's out of a deep spirituality or if it was more for, for more worldly reasons. But he did make an invitation to Flavertach Obrochen, the abbot of Derry in Northern Ireland, to relocate to Iona. And the local Flavertach Obrochen's secular lord wasn't very happy that 
Summerlet was trying to poach his dude and bring him into his sphere of influence. Also, Summerlet may or may not have founded Saddle Abbey in the, that, there in Scotland, or in the Isles, because that's not Scotland at this time. That's either Summerlet or his son, Ronald. We don't know for sure. Now, when I say Ronald, keep in mind that some sources give that as Reginald, some given as Ronald. In the Gaelic, it's R-A-G-H-N-A-L-L, something similar to that. And you don't pronounce G-H, so it looks like Ronald. And it actually comes from another, it's another Norse name, but it's been, it's more, a more Gallicized Norse name than Summerlet is. Summerlet's pretty straightforward, a Norse name. So, it was either him or his son Ronald that, that established Saddle Abbey. Um, the last episode in the life of Summerlid was his invasion of Scotland, which culminated in the Battle of Renfrew in 1164. There are a couple of motivations that could have been driving him for this invasion. Renfrew was at the heart of, of territory controlled by Walter Fitzalan, the steward, from whom descend the Stuarts. It may be that Summerled was responding to encroachment into his own territory by Fitzalan, or the King of the Isles was taking advantage of a sick Scottish king. After all, he did show up with 160 ships. That's a big force, and it says it was taken from all over Argyle, the Isles, King, the Isle of Man, and actually some from Dublin. So we see this connection with this, this mixed Gallic-Norse world clear down into Ireland. And that, and that Summerled could... So we really don't know the extent of his power and how far his kingdom went. Did he... Were these people who were just allies and came to fight because they had a, a, something to gain from it, personally? Or was it because he was... He was, um, I don't know, summoning or inviting or he, he was pulling people from his own territory that he may have had farther afield than just the, the Isles of Scotland. Yeah, we don't really know how big that was or why we, he could bring people from Dublin into this fight, but there it is in the record. Okay, so this huge, huge force. And the attack at Renfrew, it's a complete disaster. The force that faces them that response to this huge emergency is led by the Bishop of Glasgow. And it may have even been made up of people from Walter Fitzalan's lands. He may have even been there himself. We're not for sure, but the time period's correct. And, and by the way, those two previous motives that I mentioned, possibly some encroachment into his territory, because what Walter Fitzalan controlled would have butted up against what Summerled controlled. And we do know that the Scottish kings at this time and for a while after this were aggressively trying to expand. So we don't know if this invasion was in response to that. And, and that motive, plus possible taking advantage of a weakness in the monarchy, they're not mutually exclusive regions, reasons. They could have been both going on. Or they could be complete suspicions and the historians have got it all wrong. But they're doing their best and those are the two major ideas that are out there. So, it's a, it's a disaster. It's an di absolute... Summerlid's force is so much numerically superior to this force that's hastily thrown together and, and respond to this threat. But I don't know if 
the divine was on their side or or we don't know a lot about like actually like battle of sterling bridge where they were able to catch the english at a choke point and it was just the, using the terrain as good as possible maybe there's something like that going on we don't know but this much smaller force drastically defeats this bigger force in fact this is where summerled meets his end he is it's the there's two different once again we have competing ideas of what's going on here there's the mcdonald histories that claim that he was killed by treachery there's also other sources that claim that he was wounded by a spear killed by a sword and beheaded by a priest who then presents his head to the bishop of glasgow now once again those those two theories are not mutually exclusive could be all, all true but there it is he dies and so what's his legacy well okay so he's gone Actually, what happens is his brother-in-law, Godred Olafsson, comes back and... There's more to the story than this. If you want more, you just go read it yourself. But Godred comes back and actually reclaims not all of what he lost to Summerled, but the, it looks like after the Battle of Epiphany and the way that they divided up the Isles, and it had lasted that way for two years till Summerled took over all of it, looks like whatever he'd had during those two years, he got that much back. But Summerlid's descendants were able to hang on to the rest of it. Okay, so let's talk about Summerlid's descendants now. He's got... He, the sources say he's got five sons. It'd be Dougal, Ronald, Gilabrija, Angus, and... I don't remember the other one. Because there's only two of them and a daughter. I can't remember who the daughter marries. But my point here is I, I just want to dial in on Dougal and Ronald because they're the ones who are going to carry on Summer, Summerled's legacy. All right? So Dougal is the, is the senior, is the older of the two. Dougal and, and his brother Ronald. And so we have this concept of the lordship of the Isles. Between these two brothers' descendants, the, Ri, the title Ri Inchagal and Ri Argyll, which is where we get the name Argyle from, or Arguidal. I don't really know how the Gallic back then was pronouncing it, but these two titles, and these titles would be alternated between the descendants of Dougal and Ronald in future generations. Now, this what this sounds a lot like is Dalriada, that alternated back and forth between Canel Lorne, the descendants of Lorne, and Canel Navrine, the descendants of Gabron. So it and, and and Bannerman actually says that this Hebridean kingdom established by Summerlet and passed to his descendants was the a continu, really a continuation of Dalriada, which that to me is fascinating because this is what um, like three hundred years after that kingdom like we see any record, after Kenneth MacAlpin moves things, his capital east, and merges with the Pictish royal family and becomes all under one kingdom, which they'd been intermarrying for years before that already. But after he makes that move east, we really don't see Dalriada as, as a political organization. But it may have been continued under, under Godfrey McFergus, handed down to through his generations, and where Summerled really comes back in force and establishes this kingdom back. Now, Summerlid, I don't know if he thought about it like that, and I don't know that 
um, that the sources don't specifically say that the kingdom of Dalriada continued on in the form of Summerlid's lordship of the Isles, but that comes from Bannerman, that idea that this is a continuation. And if I'm correct, I don't think he's the only place that I read that, but I specifically remember seeing Bannerman claim that Summerlid's island empire was a continuation of Dalriada, and it alternated back and forth between kindreds like Dalriada had, another similarity. And the territory would have been very similar, although maybe not exactly the same. Okay, so now let's talk about the descendants a little bit more. From Dougal, the oldest brother, we have his descendants take his name rather than Summerlid. And and I don't know if, to, to break in real quick on that thought, if the immediate generations ever used the name Maxorla. Now, a way later generation of McDonald's in Northern Ireland, there was a, a Sorla or Sorley Boy, Sorley Boy McDonald. And so we see that name pop up again, but that's generations in the future. At this time, I don't know how frequent it was for them to go by the style of McSorla. But from Dougal, his descendants actually use his name as their, as their surname. And so we see a very powerful kindred. Keep in mind, he's the senior son of, of Summerled. And McDougal's were very powerful right up until they backed Cummin in the Scottish Wars of Independence. John Cummin, right? Because they're, they're uh, brothers-in-law, the chief of the McDougal's and, and the Cummins were con- connected by marriage. And after Robert the Bruce killed John Cummin in the Greyfriars Abbey, the McDougal's were sure against him. So that when Mac- the Robert the Bruce gains power, Mac- the very, very, very powerful McDougal's lose a lot huge and they're no longer a a driving power within that area now who did side with robert the bruce the the current um the heir the, the person who had so okay let me back up a little bit so you mcdougall's are super powerful and had a ton of territory now let's let's actually shift from them to his brother ronald ronald his descendants don't actually go by his, not like Dougal, his brother Dougal and their descendant, his descendants take the name of McDougal. Ronald's descendants don't do that. Ronald has a couple of sons. I don't know if he had more, but I'm going to focus on these two sons, Donald and Rory. And Donald and Rory, they're the ones who beget kindreds that take their names. So from Donald, and in some sources, Donald, and I know many of you are listening out there who might are sure enough McDonald with a D on the end. I don't use the D very much. In all the Gallic sources, there's no D there. I think it was a Latin thing, but I'm not sure. Anyway, you have the McDonald's. Look, if I ever bump into you and you're like, hey, that's my name, and I want you to just use the D all day long, I'm happy to do it. So I'm just use my own personal preference. And actually, many branches of the McDonald's, as they broke into branches, um, which ones used a D and which ones didn't. First of all, if you're using Gallic, they never did use a D. Second, if, if you're going into English now, some of them use the D and some of them don't, and it's it's a mixed bag, and so you could really go either way with this. And so then you have, so there you have the descendants of Donald, and then his brother Rory actually has quite a big, healthy chunk of territory as well that he gets out of this. And so you have his kindred named the McRory's. And the McRory's were hard-charging, 
powerful people well into the 1200s. And once again, it's Robert Bruce is coming to power where you see them diminish. And, and they may have actually carried their power a little bit farther than the McDougals did into the 1300s, but not very far into the 1300s, <coughs> where you really see, and it wasn't a, the fact that the McRory's took the wrong side in any conflict, it was that the McRory chief, the male line fails, and all he has is a daughter who ends up marrying John, Lord of the Isles, and his, this, this woman is named Anya, and they get married, they have some sons, one of whom is named Ronald, and then this John of Isla, MacDonald, Lord of the Isles, sees the Stuarts as the rising star and discards Anya, or Amy, some sources use, as his wife, puts her aside, I don't really know how that worked back then, and marries a Stuart. And that would actually pay off really well for him if all we're caring about is territory and power. Um, and so he has, and the future Lords of the Isles descended from him would come from the, his marriage to the Stuart gal. What about the McRory? What about Anya McRory? Well, her descendants would use the name MacDonald, but they would actually, her and John of Isla's son, Ronald, they would use his name and they would take the name Clan Ronald or Clan Ronald. And so there you have a very significant branch of the MacDonald clan who become a clan in their own right. And they are really the, the continuation of the McRory's, even though the name changes. So there you have it. You have the McDonald's that go on to fame and glory and big things in Scottish history. And then you have the other two. The McDougals do continue as a kindred. They do maintain a much reduced territory, but they maintain nonetheless. So good job, McDougals. Way to be persistent. Way to fight through setbacks. And you make it into the age of the clans, clear up until the Jacobite rebellions as an intact kindred. And the McRory's, your name changed, but you're still there. And there may be even people who still use the name McRory. But when that, when that transfer happened in the 13, I think that was in the 1380s that that happens with Anya McRory and the McDonald's now getting all this McRory territory through her. Um, I don't think it was common for the lower ranks to use surnames then anyway. That was just kind of a nobility thing. But anyway, there you have it. There's, there's the story of Summerlid and there's the story of his descendants. Some of the most powerful kindreds within Scotland and with the McDonald's continuing well, well into, well, right up until the end, we have in the Jacobite rebellions that the McDonald's played a pretty major part in that. Some branches more than others, but that's a different story. Thank you for joining me for this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was informative for you. And if you have further questions, comments, things you want to see discussed, go ahead and post them in the Scottish Clans Facebook group, not the page, the group, because that's where I'm going to see it, because that's what I check the most. And... If you've posted there and I haven't got to you yet, I haven't forgot about you, I promise. There's, there's some pending discussions there that I have to continue with. But And for all those of you who have done that, thank you so much. Anyway, um, another invitation I want to make to you is, as, as well as continuing the dialogue with me is you can. there's two other platforms you can interact with me on. That's Podbean. 
the app or the podbean.com, or you can go to Apple Podcast Reviews. Leave me all the stars that you can find on there and a written feedback on it. So there's some ways we can continue the interaction. And who knows, in times past, I've actually used questions posed in any of those sources for material for future episodes. Also, one last thing, please share this episode with those people that you feel like would be very interested in this. Thank you for joining me, and until next time, Marschen Leben Drasta. Drasta.